You're listening to A Recession, written and read by Philip Balasheff. If you'd like to read along to the stories that I read on this post, you can find a link to that in the description, and as always, remember to like, share, and subscribe. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. He had so far seen exactly three other cars on the road in the last hour. Little irritations rattled around in his head. The most vivid was also the most recent. The woman who had stood in line behind him at the post office, breathing heavily as if she had sprinted down the street, trying to be there before everyone else. The calm he now felt redeemed the time he had waited and endured that annoyance. What had gotten Jordan out of the house was the arrival of a package and how beautifully the sun had come through the clouds since the day's much foggier morning. Without that, he would have put it off. His interest in the mail wasn't that great. On the way back, he stood the package upright in the seat beside his and buckled its seatbelt. He slowed at the curve of the road, slowed almost but not quite to a stop, to admire the lake and how it mirrored the sun. If he were a man with a wife and children, or even with one and without the other, he would have pointed this out to his passengers. He only had a girlfriend, Gloria, and had no plans of further commitment, not that she knew or they had talked about it. They met at school when he and his family had been living in a trailer, the most obvious way the recession had affected him as a child. His father took to watching the news in the aftermath. Wanting both to appear more mature and to direct his thoughts away from fear, Jordan would sit down next to him and try to understand it. The recession dominated his life, whether he was ignorant of it or not. The fear that seized him revolved around his family, quote, losing everything, as his father sometimes said they would. Well, Jordan thought, uh, the bank had already taken their house, so what else was there? What did his father mean when he said everything? This was a loss too great for Jordan to really imagine, but that was the word his father used. It fits such a serious disaster precisely because it was vague. When Jordan asked what was happening, his father tussled his hair and said a lot about mortgages and repo men, and that's why they took our house. That last thing was all Jordan understood, and to prevent it, he had pathetically offered up his wallet, full of his fifteen-year-old's allowance, and a gesture more childishly innocent than Jordan himself was at that point in time, or at any other. If he had seen someone else do it, he'd have been embarrassed on their behalf. He pretended it was an immediate reaction not a calculated show of affection, and his parents seemed to receive it as such. Only afterwards did he have any doubts about that. Jordan knew, even then, that there was nothing he could have done. Neither could his father, who nevertheless bought and read the books various economists published, and to which committees gave prizes so that he might learn from his mistakes. Cramped as they were in their new home, each of them still staked out a room for themselves from the little space they had. His father kept the book he was reading on his bedroom table, marking his place with a dollar, as he always did. Jordan said he shouldn't do that, money being tight and all. He was looking for something to fix, and his father knew it. He replied that one dollar made no difference. Neither thought it necessary to bring up the incident afterwards. Jordan tried to read those books soon after his father did and failing, tried again with more success a few years later. 
He could rattle off the main factors and the most important players, how one thing led to another, and so the recession changed from something inexplicable to something inevitable. With prices rising, banks across the country had given his father and many more people like him subprime mortgages, despite their atrocious credit scores. The banks hoped to invest in these mortgages for a quick profit, but when one after the other declared bankruptcy, there was suddenly no market for them. House prices fell so far that they were worth less than the loan that had paid for them. The Dow lost more than half its value, and everyone whose fate and savings were tied up with it lost those too. Jordan remembered his history teacher talking about people jumping off buildings during the Depression. He figured the recession must have had such cases too, though he had never seen or heard of one. His reading put the recession in terms of figures. The net worth of the average household declined by 20%. The Federal Reserve lowered the national interest from 5.25% in 2007 to zero at the end of 2008. Knowing this gave shape to feelings he had harbored without quite understanding them, and exact figures to exp explain the tragedy he had seen play out in his life and in the news. Still, he couldn't change the past, nor did he really believe he could influence the future very much, poor as he was, and as he would very li likely continue to be. The grass on which their trailer stood was always trampled, and rarely a healthy color. Finding it in this state, Jordan's family had no reason to improve it. They weren't going to water other people's lawns, his mother said. That's how they thought of the place, a big overgrown lawn. If the weather was bad, it fit what was below it. If the weather was good, the sun showed them how dismal their situation was. Some of their trailer neighbors introduced themselves. Most didn't, which Jordan didn't take personally. How, with so many trailers, would the people here know they had moved in? Jordan told his friends about Gloria, his second, he lied. They talked about him moving to a trailer park. They were all sorry to hear that and made Jordan tell them exactly where he lived so they could visit, which they soon did. It was good that Jordan thought to describe where his family's particular trailer was and to name its most distinguishing feature, its relative newness in comparison to most every other trailer in the park. His friends brought various presents that her, their mothers said would be good for someone who was going away. But Jordan wasn't going, his friends reminded everyone, lest they forget. He was moving. His friends made this distinction because they didn't want Jordan himself to be forgotten. They came not as a group and not all on the same day, but generally one by one, knocking on his trailer door and then explaining the purpose of their visit. Two boys might happen to both be headed Jordan's way, and so decide to walk with each other for the sake of company. Even three boys wasn't impossible, though it happened only once, but no more and no oftener than that. Jordan's family spent five years in that trailer, long enough to get used to it, if not to like it. He started working as a cashier at 18, and was so eager to get head that he attended a sales seminar, the flyer for which came in the mail. He and others who had, ha who had similar hopes gathered one Saturday in a rented room at the town's community center. The instructor showed them the knives they'd be selling and had them act out a couple scenarios. Hello, Mrs. Smith, Jordan said to the woman playing the part of the housewife to his salesman. 
How long do your knives usually last you? Then he explained why his knives made a fine addition to her silverware. They lasted longer, were sharper, had better handles, and didn't cost much at all. The idea was, the instructor said, to buy the knives from him at a reduced price and sell them to others for a profit. Jordan would have, would have given him the $200 for the starter kit had a kind stranger not stopped him and explained the trick. He almost got me, too. He probably makes more selling these seminars than any of us are going to make with the knives. Jordan thanked him and left the class before he got too angry and threw a knife at the instructor's head. He tore down every flyer he saw advertising such seminars. Eventually, he saw none at all. He guessed the instructor, maybe even the whole company, had left town. How much he personally had contributed to this victory, he didn't care to know. He stated his cashier job and worked his way up to the next position, and then to the next. He worked until he had regained his footing, that is, until he had a home of his own to share with Gloria, and his father could say the same for his wife. The relief Jordan felt at having done this was greater than that of escaping the post office and the gasping woman. It had lasted longer, too, but not forever. It couldn't do that. It just couldn't. By the time he got to Gloria and wanted to tell her how awful that woman had been, the pleasure of remembering would be gone. He could see the scene before him, but not so clearly that it caused an accident. His imagination was neither immediate nor total. It wasn't a vision, or was only rarely a vision. He needed something to set it in motion. He liked that Gloria hadn't held his circumstances against him. She took him to visit her family after he had taken her to see his own, and the trailer they lived in, they were living in. Though she didn't put him on show as a poor victim of society, she made it clear that he was a good person in a bad situation. She assumed, correctly, that not everyone agreed with her decision. But once she came to his defense against the attacks she knew her family wanted to make, there was a change in the air, and they decided it wasn't worth it. They pretended to have welcomed him from the beginning, an act Jordan found so convincing that Gloria had to explain it to him afterwards. He took the news well. If they were willing to tolerate him now, and they hadn't before, that was an improvement. Gloria's parents said they were as middle class as Jordan's, but it seemed they were managing much better than most people he knew. Jordan didn't ask how they did it, and yet they told him in detail. He knew some of it already from his father's books. As Gloria's parents told it, the recession was a time when the smart investors saw what was coming and the rest lost out. This was true in principle, Jordan admitted. Any disaster will have those who can bear it better than others, but never before had anyone framed it in terms of what his family deserved. Gloria's parents were taken aback and insisted they had never said that. They hadn't said anything about anyone except themselves. He disagreed with them more politely than he wanted to. More politely than he should have, he later said to Gloria when they were alone. He replayed the evening's conversation for her almost entirely, asking her without ever waiting for an answer if she could believe her parents were really like that. It was useless to remind him she had heard them as well as he had. She waited until he was finished and had relieved his pent-up frustration, then told him she would speak to her parents about it. 
Jordan received no apology, but neither did her family insult him again, even implicitly. Jordan had his revenge when he invited them over to his house. Gloria knew what his intentions were and helped him decorate and tidy up. Gloria's parents followed them from room to room, giving them nothing but compliments on what he had done with the place, which wasn't much. They thanked him for the nice evening, and so he forgave them. He even invited them again, that time without an ulterior motive. Jordan pulled into his driveway. Wait. The sky had not changed since he had left. How long would it take until it did? He kept this question in mind for later, got out of the car, took the package, and went inside. That was A Recession, written and read by Philip Ellisha. Again, if you'd like to subscribe to the blog, there's a link to that below. And remember to like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, and until next time.